And then, Lord willing, we'll take a look at verses 13 and the ones following. But the emphasis I want to make today is that we're not just forgiven as believers. And I think there might be a danger that the Christian church has fallen into in that regard. Let me explain. First of all, we've learned this, so I'm going to ask you, where and when is our spiritual warfare? Where and when is our spiritual warfare? Right, everywhere and all the time. Don't like that? Wish it weren't the case, but it is. And we have to, we have to deal with it. Also, remember, it's not okay to lose. The key word in the passage here is the word stand. Right? Let's read it again. Verses 10 to 12, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So Paul's saying, now that I've written all that I've written to you, these are the words I want you to see as encompassing everything that I've said to you. You're in a battle. You're at war. So be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the tricks and the strategies and the attacks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against, that would be bad enough, wouldn't it? But actually, we wrestle against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, he didn't have to say the word against that many times. But he's emphasizing it. This is your life in this world, believer, and we've got to fight. We've got to wrestle. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And, and scripture regards the world that we live in as the evil day. Another day is coming, but it's not here yet. And then he says, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, and then he goes on to the equipping of our selves for the battle at hand. So don't you think, as you read this passage and we become pretty familiar with it, don't you think that it sounds like we can and should expect victory? Doesn't it? That we shouldn't accept defeat. This is a call to war, and we stay in the battle until we have won. That's it. That's what we've got to believe. That's what the truth is. It doesn't matter how many battles you lose on the way to winning, because you're going to win. There is no dishonorable discharge in Christ's army. Only honorable. Only victory. Now, hold your place here, but look at Romans 16. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Romans 16. Now, Paul is at the end of this great letter. And he says here in Romans 16, and when you get there, I'm going to look at verse 20. Here's why. 
There is no dishonorable discharge in Christ's army, only honorable. There's only victory. There's no defeat. It's impossible. It cannot be. And you must not give in to that thought or that feeling. And here's why. Romans 16, 20, the word of God. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 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 And notice what he says. The God of peace is the warrior. Remember in Isaiah today, God put on his armor and came to the rescue. The God of peace is the great warrior. We're made in his image, so we are great warriors. And it says, he will crush Satan, but where? Under your feet. And when? Shortly. This is the word of God. And then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now for the why question. Why do we keep on losing? Why aren't we changing? Why do we make excuses for our sins and our failures and our stagnancy? It ought not to be. Why are we saddled with the same old habits same old anger problems, the same old fears and worries and failures. We eat too much, we watch too much TV, we waste time on meaningless things, we get into the same old arguments in our marriages and families, we feel that life is hard, there's little or no joy, we never seem ready or quite fit to serve God. What's going on? You read this passage and you say, well, we got big enemies, but we're supposed to have victory. We fail to pray. We forget to pray. We put it off, and when we try, it's hard to pray. Our minds are easily distracted. We can't seem to find the words to pray. Almost as soon as we start praying, we're ready to stop. What's wrong? There's a lack of interest in reading your Bible. Admit it. You're not motivated to attend Sunday school or Bible study or prayer. I don't know why. You may even find worship, dare I say it, boring. Might not say that out loud, but sometimes you probably think it. Or sermons, at least that part is. And it's easy for you to find an excuse to miss the Lord's day. Or you come and you daydream your time away. Where is God? Where is the mighty warrior, the one who saved us from our sins? Where's our joy? Where's your first love? Where's your passion? Or maybe I should ask you, what actually is your passion? What does get you excited? When do you really want to shout if it's not to the Lord? So let me propose an answer, because I think this is why America is going down the tubes, filled with Christians and almost no influence upon our nation. We're, we're up against the wall. I mean, we're, we have to sue all the way up to the Supreme Court to protect our rights. We're, we're using the Supreme Court rather than the power of Almighty God. That's a telling, telling, telling indictment.
So let me propose an answer. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misquote me. The prevailing emphasis in today's Christianity is forgiveness. This is a very good emphasis. Wouldn't you agree? This is a very important emphasis. I think you'd agree. I, I would say it's a necessary emphasis, right? We'd all agree. There is no salvation without forgiveness. But it's not the only emphasis in the Bible, is it? Remember, what is the main point of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20? It's the end of his letter because after that, he concludes the letter with final greetings. So this is it. Finally, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. And only forgiveness can make you strong in the Lord because you stumble and you fall. But guess what? He gets you back up and he loves you anyhow. And in the power of his might. But it's talking about strength and its power. His strength, his might. Where is that in your life? Where is that in your daily walk? Where is that when it comes time to witness? Where is that when you get tempted and you give in? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So what am I saying? The emphasis is stand and fight and win, and yet we lose and lose and lose. I think the prevailing emphasis in American Christianity is forgiveness, and I'm all for it, but that's not the only emphasis. There's another emphasis, and that is fighting. I think the problem may be we're forgiven, but we're not fighting. We've got to fight. We've got to wrestle. When we lose, we've got to ask forgiveness and repent and get back up and fight. Did you know that the Greeks were some of the greatest soldiers in history? And I'm going to tell you why. And you know what's in Paul's mind when he writes this? Some of what's in his mind are the Greeks and the Romans. And you know what made them indomitable? When the Romans came after you, many nations surrendered before the battle started. Because when they irked the Romans and they started heading for you, forget it. We're going to lose. So better to surrender and enjoy the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, than the destruction of their legions. The Persians came after the Greeks one frightening day. And the Greeks were a group of city-states, cities that each were their own nation. And they didn't get along with each other, and they squabbled, but the mighty million-man army of the Persians came. And they thought it was over. The Greeks were outnumbered 10 to 1. But they stood their ground, and it turns out they easily defeated the Persians. And the Persians were dispersed and had to run home with their tail between their legs. And there's the, whether it's true or not, we don't know. Philippides ran from where the battle was won all the way home to Athens. And he ran into the city, having run miles and miles and miles, declared the victory of the Greeks and dropped down dead. Now here's the key. 
the Greek soldiers were heavily armed. I mean the foot soldiers. They were heavily armed. And they fought in a formation called a phalanx. Shoulder to shoulder, they stood together with their shield, their armament, their spears, their swords. And they won because they stood together and they never broke ranks. You couldn't kill them as long as they stood together and moved together, whether it was this way or that way or straight ahead. Even when they retreated, they did not break ranks. And they cut their foes down and destroyed them. They stood. They didn't break ranks. They didn't give in. They were not only, well, I was going to say forgiven. I don't know how many Greeks were forgiven. Preacher gets away with himself, gets, loses himself sometimes. But we're forgiven, but we're also so supposed to be fighting. So salvation is not the mere gift of forgiveness, right? But it is a call to fight. Now let me show you this. This is kind of amazing to me. Romans chapter 6. I really didn't notice this until I'm studying all of this in, in Ephesians. And I'm coming back here at... In my study, I'm thinking Romans 6, because I want to convey to you this, this reality of spiritual warfare. And remember, we've talked about your three great enemies, the world, the flesh, which is you, the sin that's still fighting against you in you, and the devil, okay? And, and the devil uses the world to reach to your flesh to tempt you to try to get you off track, to break ranks, to stop stand, standing, to give in. So we've seen that. And I want you to see this, that first of all, look at what God has done for you and for me, if you're a believer, and then listen to what he says. So it's a similar, it's a similar format. Paul uses it all the time in his letters. He tells you what God has done for you, and who you are in him, and this is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, the disciple. And then he says, now fight, now war, now go to it. All right? So here it is, Romans 6. He starts out telling us what he's done for us. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? That's what he did for us. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What did his death mean? He paid for your sins. He suffered the wrath of God in your place. And now all you will know is grace from God and never again wrath from God. God is for you, not against you. Verse 4, therefore... We were buried with him that when you were baptized in the water, you were buried with him through baptism into death that now turn the corner. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see it? Who you were before Christ saved you is dead and buried, gone. And out of that faith that you put into Jesus Christ that he gave you anyhow, you were made a new person, raised up in newness of life to walk a different way, a new way. Yes, sin still does indwell you, but Christ dwells in your hearts by faith, and you are born of the Spirit of God. So then he says in verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, 
where the old you is gone forever. Certainly, look at that word, certainly, absolutely, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Get up and live. Fight the good fight. Don't stay dead in your trespasses and sins. Get up and be alive in Jesus Christ. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Why? That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's talking about you and me. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him and him alone, you got rid of your works, you got rid of your efforts, your performance. It was not what you did to please God. That is folly. You cannot give your good works to God mixed with all your sins. It defiles your works. It, it makes your works heinous and disgusting and, and abhorrent to God. You must get away, throw it all away, and say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. That's salvation. But when you do that, and it's symbolized by being placed in the water so you die with Christ and are buried, and then you're brought out of the water, raised together with Christ so that who you were is gone forever and who you now are will live forever. That's what he's saying here. So if you died, you're free from sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And again, for, forever and ever, that would be implied there, right? Verse 11, likewise. In other words, you too. In the same way, you also reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Get that thought in your mind. You are dead to sin. It really doesn't have any power over you. You really don't have to give in to it. You fight and you'll win. You say, but I keep losing. Yes, but you keep fighting. Every time you come back to Jesus Christ, he forgives you and re-embraces you and you get back into the fight. You never give up. You never give in. And when you blow it, get back up. Stand. You're in a fight. You're in a battle. It's the battle of your life and you're going to win. Because he already died and rose again and has ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and that's where I am, positionally. So you stand and you fight. You never give up. You never give in. You hate your sin. Even when you are tempted and love it right into falling into it, and afterwards you're filthy and you're dirty and you're stinky, and you know it, and you say, God, you don't love me anymore. Yes, he does. And you better ask forgiveness and repent. Because the one who will get you back up is Jesus Christ. You see it? Now verse 11, I mean verse 12. Finally, we get the therefore. Therefore, having said all of that, and if you believe it and know it to be true, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. Now we get the command telling you who you are, what God has done for you, and who you're not anymore. Now, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you should obey it in its lust. Furthermore, verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, 
But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And what that means is, even when you sin, the law will not condemn you to hell anymore because you're under grace, you're under God's favor. But what I find interesting here in this little passage is that word instruments. Verse 13, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but rather present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know that word instruments is the Greek word for weapon. And it's the very word that was given to the heavily armed Greek soldier. He was a hoplites. And the word here is hoplon. In other words, your members are weapons in the warfare. What are your members? What does Paul mean by members? Well, it's a rather unusual concept. It's really hard to, to, to nail it down exactly. But you know what it actually does mean? When he refers to your members as instruments of righteousness, he's talking about the totality of your life as a human being made in the image of God, redeemed by God, born again by God, and now living for God in this world. And it, it's everything. It's your eyes. It's your ears. It's your nose. It's your mouth. It's your lips. It's your neck, your head, your shoulders, your chest, your legs, your feet, your toes, your fingers, your hands. It's all that you are in this world. It's similar to Romans 12:1, where he says, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And then it also includes how you live your life in this world. You have roles, mothers and fathers and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and workers and citizens and so on and so forth. It's your roles and your relationships. It's the totality of your life in this world until Christ takes you home or Christ returns and comes to get us. And your members are meant to be weapons in this warfare that you use for God and against your sin and against the devil. Isn't that amazing? So we fight. Now, people will say things like, let go and let God. I don't read that in the Bible. Throw that away. The Bible says, fight. Fight the good fight of faith, doesn't it? Or you'll hear people say, give your problems to the Lord. Lay them down at the cross. I myself have said that. It sounds so biblical, the word cross after all. It sounds so pious, but you won't find that in the Bible. The Bible says, put on your, the whole armor of God and stand and fight and wrestle and win. Do you have problems praying? Lots of us do. What do I say? Keep at it. Don't give up. Fight for a powerful prayer life. And one day it will be so sweet to you, you will look back and say, what was wrong with me that whole time? Well, sin. You still got sin fighting against you, but don't give up. Don't give in. Do you have problems paying attention? Getting into the Word of God? Well, find believers that love the Word of God and get them to help you. 
Hang around with them. Spend time with them. And let their love of God's word infect you. It it is contagious. Fight for God's word to have its rightful place in your life. Don't go, oh, well, I tried. And then I laid down and died. Do you keep giving in to a stubborn habit? Fight it. Pray against it. Ask others to pray for you. Tell others that you trust. Look, I have a problem here and I need help. Would you please pray for me? Do everything you have to overcome it. Does your eye cause you to sin? Pluck it out. Does your right hand cause you to sin? Cut it off and throw it away. Better to enter into life maimed than having the whole body and be thrown into hell. Stand and fight. Do everything you have to do to overcome it. Confess it as sin and repent a thousand times in a day if you must. You say, you don't know what you're talking about. I do know exactly what I'm talking about by experience. True Christianity is not a passive religion. It is a life and death struggle. And if you're in Christ, you will win. You must win. You cannot lose. We are warriors. God put on his armor. You're made in his image. You put on your armor. We are warriors. We don't take sin lying down. We're not going to lose. We're going to win. I repeat, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with you. And then one other. Revelation 3.21, to him or her who overcomes. Now, you know, uh, we're in a big to-do over male and female relationships. But the Bible makes this promise to every single believer, male, female, young or old. This is his promise. To him or her who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's Jesus' personal promise to you. Stand and fight and win. Never give up. Never give in. You're going to win. God says it. I believe it. That settles it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God. May you seal up these true words in our needy hearts and raise us up to be strong in you, Lord, and in the power of your might. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.